Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope your Monday's going well. I appreciate you uh, tuning in today. And we're going to have a wonderful hour with Dr. Greg Borgon. And we're going to talk about are the Ten Commandments relevant for today? Of course, Greg is the founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And he's uh, taught on the college level for years. And he was in the military for 21 years. Kind of the jack of all trades and he comes from a fascinating perspective he's an incredible student of god's word and he might be my most prepared guest i have on the show no <laughs> one comes more prepared than dr greg borgon greg welcome thank you it's good to be it's here. really yeah. true it's really true and i love that so how did you come to wanting to talk about the ten commandments and are they relevant for today well it, it started with the devotions i was having in the book of nehemiah and and so maybe it would be helpful for your hearers to hear a little bit of the background and how I got to this point. And Love it. What I'd like to do is share some um, observations and then some conclusions, and maybe if we have time to go through each of them and see where they may apply today. Okay. In 597 B.C., Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, and, and he took the Israelites into captivity and exile. So 60 years later, the Persians, who had then defeated Babylon two years earlier— permitted the return of the Jews to Jerusalem. And so we have three individuals that are prominent in the book of Nehemiah. Zerubbabel was was a a Babylonian Jew. He became actually the governor of Judea. Another fun name to say. (laughs) Tychicus was last hour. uh, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Nehemiah, um, a Jewish leader who came actually to rebuild the walls. And then you have Ezra who came to, a priest and a scribe who came to restore worship for Israel. So that was the team, the dream team. The dream team, yeah. right. The trifecta. The trifecta, <laughs> the dream team. There they are. In Nehemiah 8, Ezra assembles all of the Jews to hear the reading of the law. And this was precipitated by his observation that they weren't living up to God's law. They weren't living up to what God had intended. So as I read this account during my devotions, I wondered, um, given the unrest, the protests and the riots, which we have experienced over the last several days and weeks, for that matter, what would be the response of someone today standing up in front of a crowd to read the Ten Commandments? And that's all they did. So that spurred me to to take a fresh look again at the Ten Commandments. It spurred me on to do that. So I came to really several uh, observations and a conclusion I'd like to share with, with the hearers uh, on the on the station today. So some Christians believe that the Ten Commandments are not binding upon us today. But the fact of the matter is, um, that's not entirely true. This principle finds its root, that is, that it's not, we're not bound by it today, in an understanding that the Christians are not under the law, but under grace, according to Romans 6.14. But let, let's take a look at this more closely, Bill. Good. I, so let me just share some observations. Observation number one, in Matthew 5, Jesus himself said he has not come to set aside the law um, and the prophecies, to loosen them or destroy or abolish them, but he came actually to fulfill them. 
Observation two, New Testament believers are freed from the bondage of sin, which allows them to freely live out the Ten Commandments summarized by Christ in this way. He says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, and, and I'm sure most of your listeners are probably familiar with this passage, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophecies. In other words, the note is, is that the first four of these commandments summarizes the first commandment that Jesus spoke about here, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one, which is you shall love your neighbor uh, as yourself, summarizes the last six commandments. Uh, observation number three. Nine of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, are, re- are, are, are repeated in the New Testament numerous times and, and in different ways. The only one that's not repeated is the Fourth Commandment, keeping holy the Sabbath. For example, in given a summary of our moral responsibilities to one another, Jesus repeats four of the Ten Commandments to the young ruler. So let's pick that up in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, which is the sixth commandment. Do not commit adultery, which is the seventh commandment. Do not steal, the eighth commandment. Do not bear false witness, the ninth commandment. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother, which is the fifth commandment. So a pastor and author by the name of Kevin DeYoung put it this way. It's instructive for us that when Jesus has to reach for a convenient summary of obedience to God, he goes to the Ten Commandments. We see similar things from Apostle Paul, so we certainly don't want to set aside, according to DeYoung, the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't set them aside. He fulfilled them. The analogy, he says, of a piece of music that you transpose to a different key can be applied here. It's the same melody you're playing, the same piece of music, but now on the other side of the incarnation, it's transposed and there's a different key to it. Mm. And so each of the Ten Commandments now finds a fuller fulfillment in Christ. He concludes by saying, they don't become less than what they are, but now with the advent of Christ, they become much more in how we fulfill them and how we obey them. So I think that's an interesting observation from De Young. Observation four. Paul references the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, a number of times in his epistles. Sometimes he's explicit in reciting some of the commandments, as he does in Romans 13, 9. For instance, it says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But at other times, he references uh, references them implicitly, like in 1 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 10. He says, but we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, realizing that fact that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, fifth and sixth commandments, for murderers, the sixth commandment, and immoral men and homosexuals, seventh commandment, and kidnappers, eighth commandment, and liars and perjurers, ninth commandment, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So Paul implicitly and explicitly repeats these commandments. Observation number five, while it's true that Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf, according to Matthew 5, 17, the New Testament is clear that believers should not violate God's moral law because of their standing in grace. 
He says in Romans 6.15, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, he stresses. Observation 6. The Ten Commandments, and these last two observations, Bill, are pretty important. Okay. The Ten Commandments help believers in any age recognize their imperfections. So it acts kind of like a mirror. Okay. But uh, it's more than that. Because it summarizes the moral content of God's law, the Decalogue, or Ten Commandments, can be used as a mirror to show people their sin. Observation 7, the commandments reflect the unchanging character of God. So they, like God, are eternal, they're timeless, they're universally applicable, and they're immutable. So in summary with these observations, the conclusion that I reached as I looked at the Ten Commandments uh, uh, with a fresh view again, I came to this conclusion, Bill. As believers, we are no longer condemned by the law because of Christ fulfilling the demands of the law, but are now free to live in accordance with the law since the law represents the moral character of God. So as citizens of heaven and members of God's kingdom, we should seek to reflect his character in our actions, to seek after Christ-likeness. What better way to represent Christ than to be keepers uh, through grace and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? The commandments, just like we're supposed to represent Christ by exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, and self-control. So I'd like to now, if we've got the time, Bill, uh, to look more closely at the Ten Commandments themselves. All right. Before we get there, Greg, I I just think it would be nice to reflect for a second, because the last thing you said, that we're no longer condemned by the law because of Christ fulfilling the demands of the law, but are now free to live in accordance with the law, since the law represents the moral character of God. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's really clear. I mean, why would Jesus or why would God give Moses the Ten Commandments if it wasn't a reflection of his own character? Right. Why would he expect the Israelites to abide by those commands if it wasn't a means to make sure they reflected him in wherever said whatever setting they found themselves? It's an important summary, and I think you really gave some wonderful observations, and we did go through them a little quickly, which is okay because I think. It was easy to follow, but like every time you come in, it's a fire hose of information. And I think... I'm uh, sorry about that. No, it's all right. I love it. I, I have to listen to our interviews, you know, a second or third time, just so you know. But that's good for me because it, it helps me to understand things better. And before we get into each one of the uh, Ten Commandments themselves, we're going to go through each one. And uh, the ones that are found, of course, in the New Testament, every one but the fourth one. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So we're going to go through these one by one, and we're going to uh, also take any thoughts or questions or comments you have. You can call us and speak to Greg personally at 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. And if you just would like to text a question, you can do that as well. I can ask the question on your behalf. It's the same number for the text, Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. Part of a warriorministry.org is his 
location address, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments today. You've done a beautiful job of summarizing some thoughts, and now we're going to start taking them step by step, going through each commandment at a time, and find out where they're referenced in the New Testament. This is going to be exciting. As we said in the previous section, you know, this really does represent the character of God, and and, uh, if they weren't applicable today, then... Why would Jesus have mentioned them? Why would Paul have mentioned them? Why would would it be mentioned throughout the New Testament, as we said, with the exception of the Fourth Commandment? And one way in which we demonstrate our love for God is to be obedient to them. In other words, we respond to them. We do it out of a position of love rather than out of compunction or being compelled or worrying about condemnation because Jesus took, that at the, took care of that at the cross. So what I'd like to do now, Bill, is go through each one briefly and to to kind of uh, tease out what the application is for us today. So let's look at the first one. Do not worship any other God. Seems to be straightforward. It's also found in 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and 1 Timothy 2, 5. So when we, what that really means is the worship of something or someone other than God, for instance, the love of money or some ideology or philosophy, a political movement uh, or a party, uh, adoration of a celebrity or any any uh, uh, human, for that matter, is is what this is talking about. We set it up as a god. When we place anything in front of our god, it becomes our god. Especially if we're conditioned, influenced, and influenced by it, that um, results in behavior that contradicts God. So that's what that first commandment really is getting at. What are we setting up as our god? Is he God our creator, or is he some other God of our own creation? What It's not a matter of a, a wooden idol or a talisman. Certainly did address that in, in the Old Testament. It has more to do with what we have set up in our heart mm-hmm. as our God. What about grandkids? <laughs> oh, now that's my weak spot. I'm calling you on your turf. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I know I'd get you there. I know. As a matter of fact... Gil and I were just finished with the devotions the other day, and I was just so proud of how he's grown in the Lord. And um, so uh, we were studying the Word together, so God was in front of my grandson. (laughs) Anyway, number two, do not make idols. Again, when something or someone becomes more important to us than God, such as sex or money again or consumerism, or we get our identity from something else other than Jesus Christ— um, our job, for instance, uh, even smartphones could become an idol to us. Oh, think you about, think? <laughs> Gen think X people and walk millennials staring and, at it. And uh, even us senior adults sometimes sitting at dinner with our spouses, what we're both looking at, smartphones, right? Yeah. But they can become an idol. Social platforms. In other words, we are so concerned about how many tweets we're getting or, or how many likes we're getting on Facebook. Uh, entertainment choices, personal addictions even can be set up as an idol. So how do we determine the idols in our lives? By answering, I think, these, these four questions. What do I spend my time? How do I spend, where do I spend my time, that is? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? And finally, what's always on my mind? That may be the first indication of an idol that we are mm. keeping. Uh, third can we say that again? Yeah. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Money. Where do I get my joy? What always is always on my mind. Mm-hmm. So 
that can be an indication of an idol in our life. Yeah. When you're alone with your thoughts, what's the first thought that comes into your head? Yeah, is right. it is it about stuff, something? Or is it about God, right? Yeah, when you have idle time, what are you thinking about? Yeah. It doesn't mean that every waking moment you're thinking of God. Of course, of course not. But what really are you thinking about? Or is it something you'd be willing to share with somebody else? Your spouse, for instance? Mm-hmm. And if you're ashamed of that, then that may be an indication that's right. a problem there. Third commandment, and this is an important one. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. For so long, this particular command has been confined to swearing or taking God's name in vain or Jesus' name in vain. But really, Bill, it's much more than that. It is much more than that in that it's, it's living contrary to what we say we believe and who we say we follow. So in other words, if we're followers of Christ but our lives dishonor him, if we are duplicitous or living a double or two-faced life, we are misusing or taking the name of the Lord in vain. So if we claim the name, but we're not in the game, if we're not living out what we say we believe, and there is a, a incongruency, an inconsistency, and an incoherence, then we are misusing the name of the Lord. If we claim to be a follower of his, if our allegiance, we claim our allegiance is to him, but live contrary to that, we're misusing his name. We're taking it in vain. I wonder how many l- listeners are hearing that thought for the first time, thinking, I thought that commandment was only, I better not use God's name in a swear word. I think it's very common. I think a lot of Christians think it's just restricted to that. Yeah. But it's more than that. It certainly is that, but it's of more course. than that. Of course. And this illustration is really strong. To say that I'm, I am a follower, but your life is dishonoring him, so you're misusing the name of the Lord. Well, when you're one person at work and a different person at church and a different person with your friends, you, uh, I mean, that's living a, a, a trif, uh, uh, mm-hmm. trifurcated life rather than bifurcated. I mean, you're living three different lives. Um, so it's, it has everything to do with consistency. If we say we're a follower of Christ, then we ought to live like that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's misusing his name. Mm -hmm. All right, the fourth one is the one that's not mentioned in the New Testament. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There are many references, of course, of the Sabbath day in the New Testament, including the assumption that Jews under the law in the name of Christ would be observing the Sabbath. And we've seen that. But there is no direct or indirect command for believers in the church age to observe the Sabbath as a day of rest or worship. Now, we worship generally on Sunday because it represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, in fact, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's become our Sabbath rest, according to Hebrews 4, 11 through, 4 uh, 1 through 11. So that's why you don't see it repeated in the New Testament. Okay. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is. I mean, I would actually like to hear that again. Yeah. So the reason we worship on Sunday is because it's representative of Christ's resurrection. Right. And Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In other words, there's no need to have a command now to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath was actually a Saturday um, because Jesus now becomes our Sabbath rest. Mm -hmm. So when we embrace him and we receive him as Savior and Lord, he becomes our Sabbath rest if we rest in him. And I wonder how we're doing in that department. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. That's a good question because we live such busy and complicated lives. Yeah. And when people bring up the Sabbath rest, there's oftentimes, um, they look at you with a big eye roll. 
No, yeah. What yeah. are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. I got a million things I got to do on Sunday. We choose as followers of Christ to set aside Sunday to be thinking of the things of the Lord, to actually take a rest, to be with our family, to enjoy uh, the gifts that God's given us, to recognize his lordship over our life, to appreciate what he's given us. And we we should be doing that every day of the week, but we certainly should be doing it on Sunday because that's a remembrance of what he's done for us. So that's why we still, uh, that's why we worship on, on Sunday. So the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, seems pretty obvious. It's described in Ephesians 6, 1 through 2. Um, but what it really is talking about, and this is a hard one for some people, especially if they've come from a, an abusive home, where they had parents who either abused them or derided them or shamed them. So what it really means is charity, respect, honor, and appreciation. In abusive relationships, forgiveness, choosing not to seek revenge and unconditional love, seeking their welfare and well-being regardless of what they have done to us, is still possible even though we've had parents that we can't be around any longer because of the abusive nature and what they've done to us. Forgiveness is really far more for us than it is for the person being forgiven because we choose not to seek revenge. or Otherwise, we're held captive by that revenge. And so loving unconditionally means to have a genuine concern for the well-being and welfare of another individual, even if they're unlikable, which some cases our parents are. Mm-hmm. And so, but right now to honor them is to honor our Father, and we honor them by simply respecting what we can find good in them. Um, if we can't find anything good in them, it's just simply forgiving them and expressing, in other words, choosing not to seek revenge, always acting in their best interest, even if they didn't in ours. What about when, getting back to your grandkids, when they become uh, in play and you don't want your grandkids or your kids to be around a particular set of Grandparents. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very possible. How do you honor them in that situation when all they want to do is see the grandkids and you're thinking it's not healthy for the kids to be around them? There can be handled in a couple of ways. You can certainly condition the visit. You're supposed to be protective of your children, including your grandchildren, which may mean that you have to make a stand and say it's not possible. But if it is possible, then there might be some boundaries that need to be set. Mm -hmm. It's certainly an explanation to the grandchild if they're of of an age where they can understand of why there is this friction and what not to be involved with or why they're not seeing them as often as they are is important. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a, a little break, but if you have a question or comment, We would love to hear from you. You can give us a call on our studio line and talk in person on the show, or you can send a text, and I'll be able to ask the question on your behalf. We're talking about the Ten Commandments today, and are they relevant today? Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. Part of a warrior.org is the place to go look up and learn more about him. We'll take a little break, and we'll hear a little bit of uh, Stefan Grappelli as we exit. Dr. Greg Borgon, we're talking about uh, the Ten Commandments. Are they are they relevant for today? We're going through them one at a time. We've done pretty well. We're through uh, 
five of them. Mm-hmm. That's not about right, Craig? Yeah, that's right. So I think we're up for uh, number six. Do not, yeah. do not murder. Before we go into number six, I know that there are probably many uh, listeners out there who have come from a difficult home environment. Again, it may have been an abusive parent. It may have uh, been a sense of, of not being loved or appreciated or even derided on a regular basis. And so I'm not suggesting that that the listener just completely forget that in terms of condoning that behavior and all of a sudden pretend like it doesn't exist. What I am saying related to this commandment is, is that as we talked about it, forgiveness is simply choosing not to seek revenge because of what happened to you. So even though you've been the victim in this particular case, you choose before God to not seek revenge. And that way you're no longer captive to the experiences. You still will remember them and they'll come up at difficult times and unplanned times. But the point is, is that you're choosing not to seek revenge. You can do that by withholding love. You can do that by trying to create a situation that gets them back. That's not what this commandment is referring to. So to honor them as, in essence, your father and mother is to make sure that you're not choosing opportunities to offend them or hurt them, even though you've been hurt. And then the unconditional love part is a part of something that we're all supposed to be a part of as followers of Christ. The unconditional love is called agape love. It's, again, having a genuine concern for the well-being and welfare of another individual, even if they're unlovable or unlikable. And Mm -hmm. in some cases, our parents aren't. So choosing to do what's in their best interest when given the opportunity um, is the attitude that this commandment is getting at in this, these kinds of abusive situations. Is that, that helpful, Bill? That's very helpful. Can I take a listener question before sure. we jump on? Sure. Uh, back up to the, the uh, fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And the question is, uh, my young adults group is discussing this, uh, perhaps not very thoroughly, but many think it's just... Um, taking some time to lay back, rest, and get re-energized. How would you explain to a group of 20 or 30-somethings? Well, it's it's not just that. I mean, sitting back, laying back, you can do that at any time. What it's really talking about it may include some of that, mm-hmm. but it's consciously and proactively choosing time during that day of rest to acknowledge who God is and what he's done for you, to take a look at his nature and appreciate his bounty, to express appreciation for what he's given you. So it's to keep him in the forefront and the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, that even though we're under tremendous turmoil, it's remembering, for instance, things like, I'm a citizen of heaven, that I've been given a new passport, Mm -hmm. even though I live on this earth and I'm experiencing great turmoil through protests and riots and everything else, um, and maybe suffer racism in, in its many different forms, the fact of the matter is is that I am a member of God's kingdom. I am a representative of him in a fallen world. I have a better place to go to. And But during this time, uh, while I'm still on earth, I'm to represent him. But so it's just taking time. It's enjoying uh, you know, healthy recreation, not unhealthy recreation. It certainly does mean rest, but why are we resting um, alone and not thinking about what, what's given us the greatest rest mm-hmm. and the greatest peace, which is Jesus Christ? So we choose one day of the week to do that. We could be doing that throughout the week. It isn't that just should be Sunday, but certainly 
we focus on that, hearing the Word of God, being around other members of the family of God. Uh, it's important for us because it brings life. It brings vitality. It brings vibrancy to our life when we refocus ourselves. And that's a good thing to do on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right, Greg, let's move on to commandment number six. Do not murder. Now, this is this is really um, um, uh, an important commandment because it has so many different applications. The positive side of the commandment is to honor life. In other words, do not murder means to honor life. So it condemns the ending of life that is unlawful or forbidden, whether it's intentional or accidental. We are made in the image of God. God does not, however, prohibit every uh, kind of ending of life whatsoever. That may be alarming to some of your hearers, but the ending of life may be for the reason of public justice or of lawful war or just cause for war, and I can elaborate on that in a few minutes, or necessary defense. So sometimes in the protection of your home and in your family, and if it meant that your family could be hurt or be killed as a result, then we have a right to protect our family. And so that may mean, you know, in terms of justice or defense, so it doesn't condemn all taking of life. Now, let's talk a little bit about this idea of a just war. We can think of wars that we've gotten into that we perceive have, haven't been just. Um, or we can see in some cases uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, World War II, was justified. But there are some rules of war that you know have been postulated by Christian theologians in centuries past as well as by modern-day ethics at academies and in military institutions. Let me give you an idea of the concept of just war. Just war is force that may be used only to correct a grave public evil such as aggression uh, or massive violation of basic human rights of a whole population. And Summa Theological, under Thomas Aquinas, who was a 13th century Dominican friar, he was a philosopher, a theologian, Catholic priest, a doctor of the church, Uh, he asserted that it's not always a sin to wage war and set out criteria for a just war. According to Aquinas, three requirements must be met. First, the war must be waged upon the command of a rightful sovereign. Second, The war needs to be waged for just cause and on account of some wrong the attacked have committed. Thirdly, warriors uh, must have the right intent, namely to promote good and avoid evil. So Aquinas came to the conclusion that a just war could be offensive and that injustice should not be tolerated so as to avoid war. So nevertheless, Aquinas argued that violence must only be used as a last resort. On the battlefield, Violence was only justified to the extent it was necessary. Soldiers needed to avoid cruelty, and a just war was limited by the conduct of just combatants. So Aquinas argued that it was only the pursuit of justice that the good intention of a moral act could justify negative consequences, including the killing of the innocent during a war. So so Aquinas comes up with this criteria, and and again, your, your hearers may agree or disagree, but there are some criteria for that. Uh, we're not to stand idly by and be abused or have our loved ones killed indiscriminately. Uh, certainly what's happened in, in the Far East, what's happened with 
ISIS and, and other organizations, the indiscriminate taking of life, if somebody doesn't stand up to that, we're guilty for that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it's having to go to war like we have. Um, and the basic principles of law of war and their targeting implications at the Curtis LeMay Center identifies um, f- five different reasons. Military necessity is the action um, permitted under applicable international law and required to quickly and efficiently defeat the enemy. Unnecessary suffering. Will the use of a particular weapon for its normal or expected use cause unnecessary suffering? Proportionality. Does the military advantage to be gained from striking a target outweigh the anticipated incidental civilian loss of life and property of this target is struck? Distinction or discrimination. Have we distinguished between combatants and non-combatants? Have we distinguished between military objectives and protected property or places? And finally, honor or chivalry. Is this a means of warfare or a type of conduct that could be unfair or constitute a breach of trust with the enemy? So, again, we can be arguing over these points, but the fact of the matter is there are reasons to go to war, and that's for the protection of the unprotected, for garnering the kind of uh, freedoms that are necessary for them to thrive. Um, So you could use that criteria, Bill, as kind of a filter to take a look at previous wars and come to different conclusions, and people have been on both sides of that. But to say unequivocally there's no justification ever for war, that's just not true. If you look at the Old Testament, and you can certainly see how God at, at times brought that about for reasons that were not always clear at the moment. But remember, he's not bound by time, and he sees the ramifications of certain events and circumstances far down the road. And so acting, um, uh, you know, independently at that particular moment, maybe for reasons we won't understand until glory. Mm-hmm. But it should always be as a last resort. So the command, do not murder, the positive side of that is to make sure that we understand it's to honor life. I'd, I'd like to mention one other thing about this command, Bill. Abortion, in my view, is murder. Since 1973, 62 million babies have been aborted. So under two conditions, either what's called therapeutic abortion or elective abortion. Now, therapeutic abortion is the termination of a pregnancy for a medical reason, the threatened health of the mother, the incest, or rape, and it's understandable. All different denominations have varying views about abortion, and in this particular case, uh, many feel that it's justified for those medical reasons. The the health of the mother is deteriorating, could lose her life, uh, the incest, or rape. Elective abortion is by far the majority of abortions today. And that's abortion on demand. That's the interruption of a pregnancy before the 20th week of gestation at the women's request for reasons other than maternal health or fetal disease. Most abortions are elective abortions. So in my view, and again, I could have many of you hearers that may disagree with me, I believe that abortion under certain circumstances is murder. And so I think the command directly addresses that. So... The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. It seems pretty obvious. What that simply means is when one participant is married to someone else, uh, they're having an affair. It represents really a betrayal of trust. And anybody who has been through 
an adulterous relationship or has been the recipient or a victim uh, of adultery can certainly ex- ex- um, expound on the sense of betrayal and the lack of trust and how you feel absolutely violated. And it just is right to the core of your very being. And God knew that. And so that's why I think there's a clear commandment against it. Number eight, do not steal. That's, as we've talked about, taking or keeping the goods of one neighbor and wronging him or her in any way with respect to his or her goods. There's a case in CHOP in Seattle, a documented case, where a woman living within those nine blocks had a computer and some electronics that were stolen. When she went to the leaders of that area to express her concern and wanting her computer and electronics back, uh, the leader told her that um, that it was kind of unfair to call it theft and that maybe the person who took it needed it more than she did and that she should view it as an unplanned donation. So any common sense would come to the conclusion it was stealing. That's, that's why I said if we stood up in, in the middle of what's going on today and read the Ten Commandments, we'd probably be stoned mm-hmm. or pillared or certainly criticized. But God was very clear on what he meant in each of these commandments. In this particular case, it was do not steal, mm-hmm. period. We can steal another person's reputation. You can steal the achievements of another individual. So it isn't just objects that you take or steal. Mm-hmm. You can you can take somebody else's identity, which right. often happens with credit cards and right. and giving out of personal information. Somebody assumes your identity. That's theft. Yeah, of course. So that's pretty clear. Yeah. We'll take our last break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. Are they relevant today? We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're doc- talking to Dr. Greg Borgond. We're chatting about the Ten Commandments. Are they relevant today? As we were passing number six, do not murder, I had a listener chime in and say, if Commandment 6 says, you know, we shall not murder, and then we need to forgive those, should we forgive Officer Derek Chauvin for what happened to George Floyd? Okay. First of all, unequivocally, what happened to George Floyd was murder. Uh, anybody looking at the video would conclude that, but we're not his judge, jury, and executioner. So when we talk about forgiveness, as it applies to Chauvin, for instance, uh, we're not saying that we condone his behavior, but we are choosing not to seek revenge on our own individually against him. We leave that to the courts to make a decision about his guilt and his punishment. That's why we have the legal system set up the way that it is. And some may say, well, it's, it, it's not uh, always fair. But still, what we've done under our Constitution is create this legal um, body to make those decisions. So we leave the disposition of Chauvin to the courts. 
and we choose not to seek personal revenge ourselves because of it. Mm-hmm. But again, it doesn't mean we condone his behavior when we forgive him. If we take and understand that it's choosing not to take personal revenge ourselves against Chauvin, that's what forgiveness is. So hopefully that's helpful to the listener. I hope it is too. All right, let's go to number nine. Do not give false testimony. Do not give false testimony. <laughs> you know, when I, when I started exploring this a little bit, I kept thinking about all of the news channels and the, uh, you know, the, the comments made by various politicians and what's happening today. And I guess maybe all of us are guilty of giving false testimony. Again, it's repeated, by the way, for the, for the hearer in Revelation 21.8. So what does that really mean to bear false testimony? It's simply this, to bear false witness, lying, devising and designing um, uh, a, a scenario that's meant to deceive, um, giving half-truths, equivocation, um, is sometimes it's not only the commission of a lie, it's the omission of the truth mm-hmm. that becomes uh, false testimony. Speaking unjustly against another to prejudice to their prejudice or the prejudice of their reputation, that you are des- desiring to destroy their reputation. The cancel generation, as it's called today, is certainly could be an example of that. Um, and... But the point is here, we're not to give false testimony, period. As a follower of Jesus Christ, seeking to be obedient to his commands. And it might be interesting for the audience to know that in the New Testament, there's over 1,050 commands. (laughs) And they're either present imperative in the Greek or they're future imperative. Present imperative means do it now. Future imperative means do it and keep doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's over 1,050 of the commands in the New Testament under 800 different categories. So it's not that the New Testament is without commands. Um, being obedient means being obedient to what? And to Christ's commands, to the commands we find in the Scripture. So anyway, getting back to the ninth, do not give false testimony. Uh, so bearing fault witness, lying, devising, or designing a scheme to deceive, or speaking unjustly against another to the prejudice of their reputation. And I would include and lump into that bill gossip, which is meant, which is generally based on unfounded uh, information meant to skewer the reputation of another individual or smear them. Um, slander would certainly be a part of that. So it covers a wide variety, but it just at its simplest form is don't give false testimony. Don't lie about somebody. Don't perpetuate a myth or a rumor uh, that's meant to undermine or destroy, that's not validated or fact-checked mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, don't do it. Just don't do it. And finally, number 10, do not covet. Colossians, it's repeated in Colossians 3.5. It means to banish our desires for whatever doesn't belong to us. It could be goods. It could be somebody else's spouse, uh, somebody else's girlfriend, somebody else's husband, somebody else's boyfriend. Um, So to banish our desires for whatever does not belong to us, to seek ill will against somebody because we'd rather be with them uh, uh, and then who they're currently with, or it's desiring um, possessions and that we don't have that somebody else has, and we're saying, well, why should they have them? I should have them too, or they should share them with me. 
Um, in some respects, socialism does that uh, as as a a, a, a way of, of distributing um, uh, equally across everybody um, their possessions that really belong to that individual. Uh, so it's it, another way to look at it. It includes things like uh, greediness or grasping for what's not ours, thinking that we deserve it just because we feel we should have it or it's our right to have it, even though we may not have worked for it or we may not have, have uh, created a situation where we save to get what we want or it's a legitimate means of appropriating it. Um, that's what this is talking about. So my view, Bill, is that these Ten Commandments are relevant today, mm-hmm. extremely relevant. You know, it's, when you get to do not covet, do, do people ever come out and say, you know, I'm really struggling with envy and greed? They never say that, do they? No, no, they don't, but they know in their hearts they have. Uh, they probably know in their hearts they usually have. They won't articulate it. They're not going to say, I'm envious or I'm, I know, I'm greedy. But that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, because your behavior, and I'm talking about blips on the radar screen. I'm talking about trends in your life will will give um, evidence of greed or envy. Um, you don't have to say it. People just need to look at your lives to, to see that it exists. Mm-hmm. Greg, can people ever be unaware that they've lied? I I, th- I think that's possible. I mean, if, little, if little delusion, maybe. Yeah, it could be delusion. It could be uh, n- not a solid grasp of the facts. Okay. Um, it could be because they've been deluded by others and they've accepted as truth what they've been told, and they they uh, are purveyors of that that truth, mm-hmm. and not checking it out and not realizing that they've lied, and and so I mean, it's an unint- unintended lie. Um, and they can be not aware of it until it's brought to their attention. But if we end up defending after it's brought to your attention what you said, then it's obviously a blatant lie that right. needs to be forgiven. Okay. So I guess, Bill, what I would conclude in, in our discussion, and, I, and I, I'm hoping that it it's caused people to rethink their understanding of the Ten Commandments, especially those who are followers of Christ and how they apply to us today. So here's my, my general conclusion. So in conclusion, and in my opinion, I'll, I'll caveat it by saying that, the Ten Commandments are still applicable today. The law has indeed been satisfied by Christ. We are indeed no longer under the condemnation of the law. Yet, out of obedience, we are to live in accordance with the law because it represents the heart and character of God. Amen. It is a tuning fork by which we tune our hearts to the heart of God. It tells us when we're out of tune, and it helps us to adjust our lives so we are in tune. So we can have a distorted perception or view of life that needs to be corrected with truth. So like a tuning fork that can be used to tune a piano, mm-hmm. we sometimes the ear is unaware of how a piano is out of tune until the tuning fork is used for each of the keys or, or the, the chords. And so, but that tuning fork compared to the actual existence of the, the sound coming from that piano will determine whether or not it's in tune or it's out of tune. So I think the Ten Commandments can be seen as a tuning fork and that our lives can be out of tune and we not even know it. 
because it's been a gradual, progressive, um, uh, you know, process to become out of tune. We get used to being out of tune. You've heard some people sing, and they don't know they're out of tune. They think they're really into it, and they, they're just going like crazy. Yeah. And everybody else is holding their hands over their ear because they says they're out of tune, but that person singing may not know until maybe they hear a recording of their own voice. Yeah. So the Ten Commandments can be seen as a tuning fork, I believe. That's wonderful. That's a strong uh, image to keep in our in our heads that we, I love this, we're no longer under the condemnation of the law, yet out of obedience we are to live in accordance with the law because it represents the heart and the character of God. Yeah. So it's good to review these, and this has been a wonderful time. I so appreciate you... Uh, doing this little study with us. No, it's, it's been my wonderful. Privilege. My privilege. Yeah, Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. Heartofawarrior.org is his website. It's written a number of books, and you can always head over there to learn about his books and his blogs and his thinking, which is, uh, as you understand with me, pretty intense. <laughs> uh, it's For me, this is not something I listen to once. I listen to it more than once. Like tonight, I'll be listening to it again. Because I always get lots and lots when I go through it a second time. So, Greg, thanks again for being here. My privilege. Yep. That wraps up our show for the day. Love having you uh, listen and tune in and supporting Faith Radio. You're absolutely the best. And you know I'm nuts about you, and I love you, and I hope you have a great night. As you lay your head on that pillow, just know that God is working out his great plan in your life. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.